0: Thank you for tuning in to the Remodel Church Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and encourages your daily life. Have you ever heard or thought that you heard from God, but wasn't sure if it was really God speaking to you or not? Because it just might be the devil. I've had moments like that in my life where it's like so extreme that it could... I feel like it could go either way. And I can only imagine Ananias that day when God speaks to him and he says, Do You need to go find Saul and pray with him. You see, Saul was a young man, fairly young, but very successful, extremely powerful. And Saul had made it his purpose to pursue and persecute anyone who called themselves a Jesus follower. And so Saul had actually gone to the kings and he had gotten a um, um, basically written consent to just kill on the spot, persecute on the spot or imprison, put in chains, anyone immediately. As soon as he knew that they or heard that they were Jesus followers... Then he could go ahead and do whatever he wanted to them. He had written consent from the king. And now here's Ananias, thinks that he hears from God, go and pray for him. And I can only imagine the struggle going on in Ananias' mind and in his heart at this moment. And I can only imagine the thought process thinking, Is that you, God? There's no way. Because God wants me to have a comfortable life. God wants me to have an easy life. God doesn't want me to do anything difficult. No, that's a devil trying to get me in a bad spot so he can kill me. That's what it is. But then he hears from God again. And God then tells him, you need to go because he's going to be a useful tool or useful instrument for me for the gospel. And then he also says, and I'm going to show him how necessary it is for him to suffer. For me. And imagine just using that one word. It's amazing how one word in a conversation can shift everything. Right? You guys ever had a conversation and somebody just used that one wrong word and it sets you off? Or they use that one right word and it really just gives you the butterflies? So God uses that one right word, in my opinion, suffer. And Ananias immediately, oh, he's going to suffer. So then he goes and he prays for, he finds Saul. Saul has actually been blinded. Saul is on the road to Damascus and God actually shows up in a blinding light and uh, knocks him off of his mule or camel, whatever it was that he was on, knocks him off of it, blinds him. And, he, and Saul hears this voice says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you chasing after me? So if there are any kids that want to go out, I completely failed there. My wife's looking for kids. If kids want to go out, you can go out. Um, anyways, so Saul's blinded. Ananias shows up and prays for him, as soon as Ananias lays hands on him and starts to pray for him, the Bible says something like scales came off of his eyes, and he could see again. And from that point forward, Saul was completely Changed. He was a different man. He went from being a man that wanted, that hated Jesus, that hated anybody that followed Jesus, to being a man that was Jesus' greatest cheerleader, his greatest advocate. He was, he went from being the very, or he was, the reason that the very first Christian martyr died was because of Saul. And whenever they were throwing rocks at Stephen, it was Saul that they were trying to impress. And he went from being that man to being a man that died because of Jesus, for Jesus. But on his journey there, he met up with this man called Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. You see, because even though Saul was a changed man, his reputation preceded him. And can you imagine, could you imagine being in this church right here, right now? Everybody knows who Saul is because he's on Fox News, CNN, everything. And then all of a sudden, he walks in through that back door. So even though Saul was a changed man, he wasn't really accepted by the Christians. He wasn't accepted even by the apostles or by the disciples of Jesus. They thought it's just a trap. He's trying to infiltrate us so that he can trap us from within. Don't let him in. But this man called the son of encouragement, he saw something in Saul. He was the very first one to believe him. And so he went and he took Saul. He hugged him. And he embraced him and he brought him into the disciples and he opened a completely new world and opened the doors for Saul's ministry to take off. Now we don't necessarily call him Saul anymore. Now we call him Paul. And he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote more of the New Testament than even the people that walked with Jesus on a daily basis for three years. Yet he would not have been able to do that If it wasn't for a man called Barnabas. That's who we're going to be talking about today. So let's pray and we'll get started. God, we thank you so much this morning for your grace, for your love, for your presence in this place. We ask you, God, that you would speak into our hearts, speak into our lives. Help us, God, to understand your word. Help us to receive your word. But more than anything, help us to live your word out. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says, Amen. So last week, we started a brand new series called Unlikely Heroes, where we're going to be looking at just people that do seemingly ordinary things, but they do, it on, they do them in an extra, extraordinary way. People that, have, that play a small role, but have a significant impact. And last week, we looked at the Servant. And uh, we look at people who serve so well that they're giving, that they're given, excuse me, um, influence. And we looked at this little slave girl who actually saved her master's life just because she served so well. She was given influence. She was given a voice. Today, we're going to be looking at Barnabas, the son of encouragement. We're going to be looking at the person who is an encourager. The person that motivates other people. The people that have, that have just the right words at the right time. You know, there's no, there's no doubt that words, that, you know, that old saying that we all learned when we were a kid. Whenever our mom, the, the one that our mom taught us whenever some kid at school called us ugly. Oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt us. That's a bunch of bull. I mean, we like to say it because it sounds really nice, but sometimes words really, really hurt. You see, words are powerful. And when we use the right words, we can build, we can encourage, we can inspire, and we can have people, people go to levels that they never thought they could go. That's what I want to look at today. I want to look at Barnabas look choosing the right words or choosing the right actions and inspiring people to go to levels that they never thought they would go. And so a couple things that I want to share with you. This is one thing that the, that the encourager does. The encourager will accept people for who they are. Is that your base, Joel? Yeah. That didn't work. There we go. Let's turn the sub off too, please. So the encourager, the encourager will accept people for who they are, but will inspire them to be better. So even though even though Barnabas knew who Saul was, knew who he had been. He accepted him for who he was, and then he took him to another level. He embraced him, and he inspired him to be better. Whenever we think of encourager, we can also think of a coach, not necessarily a professional coach, but just someone who coaches us along, who will come alongside of us, will accept us, embrace us where we are at in life, with all of our mistakes, with all of of our mess, who will accept us where we are, but won't let us stay there for too long. You know, we, we need to get, we need to have people around us that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Right? No? We all like to be comfortable. We all like to be, we like our comfort, don't we? But the truth is, nobody ever grew in comfort. Nobody has ever been stretched, nobody has ever learned, nobody has ever done anything special at all, anything great, as long as they stayed inside of their comfort zone always. We all need to surround ourselves with someone that will will embrace us and take us and accept us for who we are, but will not be happy with us staying in the same position year year after year after year after year after year. So the encourager accepts us and embraces us where we are for who we are, but they inspire us to be better. They encourage us to be better. They encourage us to take the next step. They encourage us to leave the bad habits behind. That's what Barnabas did for Saul. The encourager sees past or sees through the stereotype And are the very first first to reach across the divide. Acts 9.27 is a perfect example of that. When all the apostles, all the disciples, everyone who is a Jesus follower has made this little circle, this little uh, click, if you will, and said, Paul, you cannot come in, or Saul at that time. You can't be a part of this. But Barnabas was the very first one to reach across that stereotype or that divide. And to build a bridge, he was the first one to close that gap, so that Saul could become Paul. And all of the ben- and all of the disciples, excuse me, and all of us, we benefit greatly today from the ministry of Paul. But it was Barnabas, the encourager, the very first one to reach across that divide, to see through the stereotype and close the gap. And embrace Paul or Saul at that time. So, what does that look like for you in your life? You know, I know that there's some people that have the wrong last name. Even in this little bitty town, in these little communities, there's some people that have the wrong last name, and so we don't talk to them as much. There's some people that have the wrong profession, do the wrong thing for a living. And so we put them in a group, we put them in a circle, and we say, you can't be a part of this. There's some people that just do the wrong things, or have, ha- or have done the wrong thing. And again, the entire community, or maybe our whole circle has x them out and put them outside. Well, if we want to be that encourager, if we want to be like Barnabas, the son of encouragement, we have to be the very first to reach across that divide. We have to be the first to close that gap. You know, there's no, there's no doubt, and, and this is one of the things that I love about us and our church. And it's not really like if we had any choice in it. But I love the fact that we're not all white. Amen. We're not all brown. I love that. I love the fact that we have some interracial marriages, interracial couples. I absolutely love that. Because I've been in churches that, have, that are in bigger cities, more diverse cities. And their churches are dominantly one color. And to me, that's sad. You see, that's not what the kingdom of heaven looks like. I mean, heaven isn't like an all white place or an all brown or all black or all Asian or all. It's going to be diverse. So if we have a a few little race issues, we better take care of that here because we're going to be real uncomfortable in heaven if we have race issues. You guys with me? Am I not supposed to talk about this kind of stuff? See, that's what the encourager does. The encourager doesn't care what color you are, what your last name is, what part of the town you live in, what your profession is, what you did last year, two, three, four, five years ago, or even last week. The encourager reaches past all of that. And closes a gap so that that person can reach and fulfill their destiny, their God-given purpose. You guys with me? The reason I say we didn't really have a choice in it is because I'm, I'm the product of an interracial marriage and then I'm in an interracial marriage too. I don't even know how much American or Mexican my kids are because I'm supposed to be half and half. <laughs> And then my my wife is full. So what would that make them? Would that make them three-quarter? Is that what it makes them? That was easy math. That wasn't too bad, huh? Just never really sat down and thought about it. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. But that's why we don't, we, we never really have an option in it, man. We never really, but I absolutely love the way that we are. I'm just going to go on this little, little bitty deal just because I want, I want us all to open up our minds to this. You see, 20 years ago, it was okay to have a white church, a brown church, a black church, an Asian church. 20 years ago, it was okay to do that because there was, there were big language barriers and all that kind of stuff. Right? Sure. And a lot more racist people. But here's the truth. Listen to this. Here's the truth. Because I, I, I did studies on this. And, and a couple years ago, last summer actually, I presented it to a lot of pastors. And, and, I, and I did a lot of research on this. But you know, one out, of, one out of every three marriages or couples now are interracial. Meaning a Hispanic and a, an a American or an African American with a Hispanic or whatever. One out of three. One out of three babies born now are a product of an interracial marriage. And this is what happens. And this is what will happen in the USA if the church doesn't grab a hold of this. And there are a lot of churches now catching on. But this is what what has happened. Is that brown baby, or the product, excuse me, of the brown baby and the white baby, we'll just call them a half and half, you see, people like me, for example, that are a product of an interracial marriage, and then whenever I, I grow up and I were to marry, or I married my wife, a Hispanic, see, if I would have grown up in, let's just say, a, a white church, and then she would have grown up in a Hispanic church, then once we come together and we get married, we don't know what church we want to go to. Then what happens is we fight about it, Because I don't feel comfortable in the Hispanic church and she doesn't feel comfortable in the white church. And so what happens? There's no place for us, so we just stop going to church. That's what has happened. That's what's happening right now. All across America. So that's, again, I I just wanted to say this so that we embrace this. You know, next time, if you have any, any friends that are biracial, that are uh, uh, multiracial marriages or whatever, couples, man, bring them here. I would absolutely, we love it. We don't want to be all white. We don't want to be all brown. We don't even want to be all tan. (laughs) Like me, am I tan or am I white? Dang it. (laughs) I was hoping I'd be tan. But we don't ever want to be dominant one color. Either way. Anyway. We want to be as interracial, as multicultural as our little community will allow us to be. Okay? You guys with me? So the encourager is the very first one to reach across the divide to see past the stereotype. One of the most beautiful things that the encourager does is it draws your attention to the positive. The encourager will always draw your attention to the positive. So while, while I was in Guatemala two weeks ago, a friend of mine says, dude, send me pictures. And I'm like, okay, what do you want pictures of? He says, just anything. So I'm just taking random pictures of stuff. And then we're driving down the road and there's this man carrying, I wish I would have thought about it and put it on the screen, but, but there's this man carrying like a wagon is what it is. Like what you would usually see a horse carrying a wagon, he's carrying it and it's big and he's got a load and he's going uphill and I'm like, man, that's a perfect example of poverty. So I sent it to him and his response was, "Whoa, I bet he stays in good shape. And I'm like, I guess that's a silver lining. That's not exactly the message I was trying to come across with. But he saw the positive in the situation. He's an encourager. Just by nature, he's an encourager. So any situation that he's put in, any, anything that he ever comes across, he's going to see the positive. He's going to focus on the positive And he's going to draw your attention to the positive. That's what an encourager does. An encourager, you might be in the middle of the worst mess that you have ever been in. And some way, somehow, they'll bring your attention to something positive. Some way, somehow, they'll be able to lift up your spirits and encourage you. Because that is who they are. That is what they do. That's who Barnabas was way, somehow, he always brought out the positive. And people who always draw your attention to the positive, as a result, will always draw out the best in you. The best in other people. We need to get around someone who draws out the best in us. And we've got to stop hanging around so many people who draw out the worst in us. You know, when I first got married, which is biblical, the Bible says that when the man uh, joins with the woman, says that he will leave his friends. And uh, I was having a little bit of a hard time doing that. Until one day, my wife just sat me down and had a conversation with me. And she says, I don't like the person that you are when you're with him. And I liked him. He was my friend. And I'm like, no, but we're, you know, we're just messing around. No, I don't like the way you treat me when you hang out with him. That hurt. It really did. But I realized something. I realized that as much as I loved him, as much, as, as much of fun we had together, he did not draw out the best in me. He actually drew out the worst in me. And so even though we're still friends, I don't hang out with him near as much. Because I have to be around people who will draw out the best in me. And we have to be people who draw out the best in others. We need to make sure that when people enter a relationship with us, as a friendship, and, and as a coworker, whatever it may be, we need to make sure that they are better people because they know us. None of us want for others to be worse off because they know us, right? We don't want to be that person. But sometimes through our negativity, through our complaining, through our whining, through our whatever, our bad attitude, sometimes people are worse off because they know us. There was a guy I used to work with years ago. I promise you, if the dude would have found a $100 bill underground, he would have complained because he had to bend over and pick it up. He complained about everything. And every time I saw him coming, I left. Or I'd do like, hello? Oh, yeah, I'll be there in five minutes. Okay, got to go, man. We don't want to be that person. So we need to make sure that we are the Barnabas. We need to make sure that we are the encourager. And let's bring out the best in people, Let's make sure that people are better, are happier, are better off, are better people themselves. Just because they know you. Just because they had a conversation with you. Just because they were encouraged or inspired by you. Because they saw your faith. Because they saw your love. You know, one thing in Guatemala, I've never met this couple before. Ron and Christy Bishop. They they're amazing people, man. They have been. Guatemala was their eighty first country to be in, to minister in, not just to go to, but to minister in. They've lived in six different countries around the world. Um, Lived for at least three years. They just moved from Ireland back to San Antonio. That's their, I guess, their home base. That's where they call they. Yeah, that's just what they call home, I guess. But uh, they they were in Ireland, I think, for six years. I think is what they said. Um, and it was great to be around them, not, not necessarily because of how wise or how intelligent they were but the last day there, I just told them, you know what, it's been good to see how much you guys love each other. They've been married for something like 43 years, I think, something like that and the way they treated each other, the way they loved each other, the way they They laughed at stuff like me and Ted were like, I don't even know. But to them, it was hilarious. And it was so cute to see them. (laughs) And the truth is, that inspired me to be a better husband. That inspired me to love my wife better. They brought out the best in me. Just, I mean, we spent a week together. But just by being around them They inspired me to be better That's who we need to be as people And that's who we need to be around Here's something very important And I want to read these scriptures Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 If you're in Acts Just go to the right If you hit Philippians You've gone just a little bit too far Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers now let's go jump to Proverbs Uh, 29 verse 11 proverbs is going to be in the middle of your bible by the way if you've never read through proverbs and you're looking for something to read through in your bible or listen to on your bible read a chapter a day out of proverbs it is great stuff proverbs chapter 29 verse 11 and i want you to highlight this proverbs chapter 29 verse 11 I want to wait till all of you get there because this is a great scripture. All right, we all there? All right. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. A fool vents all of his feelings. But a wise man holds them back. You see, the encourager chooses their words carefully, even in heated moments. An encourager chooses their words carefully, even in heated moments. When everybody else is just ticked off and yelling, and screaming, and cussing, and bringing up stuff from 10 years back, the encourager, or Proverbs would call them the wise person, chooses their words carefully. You see, if we could ever, if we could ever just learn to tame our tongue, because this is a problem that some of us have, is we spend all day or all week or all month building something. And we've done a great job, but in a moment of anger and frustration, we say just a couple of words and we tear it all down. You ever been there? All week, all month, all day, all year, whatever. We've been working hard to get past this. Maybe in a relationship you've been working hard to forgive or you've been working hard to get past a certain issue. And you've been working so hard. And you've gone gone out of your way to say the right things at the right times. And you've bought the roses and you've bought the flowers and the chocolates and all of this kind of stuff. But because we are foolish sometimes and we vent all of our feelings, we destroy everything that we worked so hard to build up. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have been in that situation before? We work so hard and we destroy it all. We kill it all in a moment. So only the foolish vent all of their feelings, but the wise man, the wise person, holds some of it back. You see, if you are the encourager, a couple of things that I want to speak to you. Maybe you're listening to this, and you realize that you are that person. You realize that you have this gifting. Because again, for some of us, this is natural. For Barnabas, it was natural to him. It was who he was. He was the son. They they nicknamed him Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And maybe some of you, it's natural for you. And you just naturally have the right words to say. You naturally are able to encourage and inspire other people. I want to talk to you for just a moment. One thing that is very, very important for you to do is to take time for yourself sometimes. Because this is what an encourager does. An encourager is constantly pouring into people. An encourager will see someone who needs a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of encouragement, and will go and just emotionally pour into them constantly. And if the encourager isn't careful, if Barnabas isn't careful, and he never feeds himself, he never takes time to be just him and God. And what happens is we become drained. Have you ever just been emotionally exhausted from dealing with an issue? All of you men are like, I ain't no woman. Whatever. You can act all tough, but bro, you cry too. Don't lie. I'll start calling y'all out. Gabby, do you cry? Gab's yes. don't cry. <laughs> Anyways, so what happens is the encourager consistently, constantly pours into other people. And if they never take time to be filled up, they have absolutely nothing else to give. And then what happens to the encouragers, they begin to resent those that they poured into. You see, even Jesus took time to be by himself because Jesus, whenever he was surrounded by his disciples and whenever he was surrounded by people, he was constantly pouring out and giving and giving and giving and giving. And it was important for Jesus to go off and to pray alone with just him and God because he knew that if he did not That he wouldn't have much else to give to them. You guys with me? So if you're if you have that gift, and maybe you've gotten to the point to where you are exhausted, because there's a certain person, maybe even someone in your family who whom you love so much, and you have just tried to encourage them, you have tried to motivate them, you have tried to inspire them, you have tried to help them out, and it just does not seem to be going anywhere, and now you're just exhausted. Listen to me, instead of giving up on them, go and take some time, get alone with God. Be filled back up so that you can have something else to give to others. Do that for yourself and do that for those that you're pouring into. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11. 1 Thessalonians is going to be in the New Testament towards the very back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. <clears throat> Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. See, the encourager sees every relationship as an opportunity to build someone up. An opportunity to build others up. Every relationship is an opportunity to make someone else better. The encourager is just as happy when someone else wins than when they win. About eight years ago, my very first trip to Missouri to hunt, it was my dad, my brother, and I. And My little brother had never killed anything. And uh, by the way, if you're a PETA supporter, I'd just close your ears for a little bit. Sorry, but uh, anyways, so he had never, he's never, he's never killed anything before, and so we're in Missouri hunting with some friends of ours, and he's already had a rough season. He's already missed three deer that 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 year, not that day, and uh, it's, in, it's the last evening of the of the hunt. And um, he misses a, a deer. My dad is looking for it and makes it a whole lot of noise. And I go meet with them. And I'm like, well, just come with me. We'll sit in this stand together. It's a single stand. So I'm like so uncomfortable. It's not even real. But there's about an hour left of daylight. And I thought maybe something will come through right at dark. And sure enough, right at dark, about 15 minutes left of shooting light, this little bitty weird-looking deer comes out. And Moses, he, he, it's behind me. Matter of fact, I was already letting my gun down whenever I heard it just coming through the woods. And I just happened to see it coming through the woods. I whistle, and it stops exactly, I mean, perfect in a shooting lane. And so I just dropped my gun almost. And get Moses, Moses at this time is like ten years old. He was so cute back then, had massive ears, but he was cute anyways, and he gets turned around and and he's so I, I see him trying to get it, he's holding up to thirty, thirty, and he's shaking like crazy, so I finally I put up my hand for him to I'm, I'm like just put just rest it on my hand, and he's like, "I can't find it, I can't find it. dude it's still there. Hurry up." And he's like, "Oh, there it is, there it is. I see it, okay, shoot." And boom, he shoots, and the buck, and the, the little, it was a little buck, and he does a little mule kick, and immediately I know, you got it, man, you got it. It runs maybe 15 yards, and it piles over, and I start to cry. I'm not kidding. Emotion came over me like I've never felt before. And I hug him, we get down, we get, off the, we get off the deer stand, we get to the deer, and I hug him. And I'm so proud, and I'm so happy. And I've never felt like that about myself accomplishing anything in my life. But at that moment, I was so happy for him. You see, that's what an encourager is. An encourager is okay with taking one for the team. As long as you get the win. We're okay with that. See First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 says build each other up. Every opportunity that you have build someone up. Build them up. So let's stop using our words. <clears throat> Listen to me. For those of us that it's not so natural to just encourage each other. Let's stop using our words to build walls and to divide each other and divide ourselves from people. Let's start using our words to encourage. Let's use our words to build up. This is the end of the message. For more information, go to